maybe we can do one, two questions yeah, yeah. just to sustain the illusion can that. I take this in case <laughs> Ah, woman wants. Stealing, steal, no, no, I wanted to do the obscenity. You, 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 there is something phallic about it. You want it, no? Okay, sorry. I cannot resist it. And now you want it. No, no, but let me tell you something. You know that I got the answer of a lifetime when I uh, repeated my old problematic joke. This was the true Lacanian answer. Now in the United States, against this stupid political correctness, no? You know, this Santa Cruz story, which really happens. I was there and they told me, why your dirty stories? We have wonderful jokes here, which are very funny, but nobody is hurt and humiliated. Like, uh, what happens when a triangle meets a circle? Of course, I said brutally, you know, what the hell do I care? What, what happens when a triangle meets a circle? I want dirty joke when somebody is... And then I got the correct answer, which was, how can you say this as a Lacanian? Don't you get it that, you know, the true trick is the forum itself and so on, that I totally, that I fall into some kind of non-dialectical substantialism and so on. On the other hand, then, I, I was told you even missed the connotation of this pure forum. Like, uh, what happens when a triangle meets with a circle? Circle, phallic, triangle, you know what? My God, many things. Okay, it's another story. What I'm saying is, let's go on, please. Please. Question. No, but what interests me is if you have something, I'm open here, I'm not bluffing, about points which I considered are even moderately interesting, like this idea of inventing a new way of. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> You ruined my pleasure, which is to ask myself a question. And then... uh, just to maybe recover the uh, accusations against Obama, uh, one of the interesting facts about uh, Obama's early uh, presidency is the fact that he, he had all the power at a certain point. He had the whole Senate, he had Congress. And one of the problems, one of the really big criticisms of him was the fact that he didn't use it to really attack the Republicans. Um, instead of, say, pushing through uh, healthcare reform, he goes around and says, well, let's try and convince the Republicans to join the law. That he wasn't violent enough no. for me, or how would you... Yeah, no, no, I, not, here I totally agree with you, because, you know, I wonder if you saw it, a week ago in New York, I watched an interview with Michael Moore, not that I like him excessively, but he made a wonderful point, the slogan of his interview is, more and more I like Republicans. No, no, he's not. And then he said, because formally, my God, when they got power, they use it brutally. They believe in it. And he says, I'm starting to think, do these uh, Democrats around Obama, you know, he sounded as a kind of a progressive, progressive Christian. Because he said, do they believe in anything? They, they, they act as if they don't believe. They are afraid to you to brutally do it. You know why I also agree with you? Because I know enough of my own small political experience this. You know, what's the paradox of, you may know it if you are involved in it, the paradox of political power is that when you want to seduce the opponent by way of saying, okay, let's meet halfway, blah, 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 that's not the way to do. If you start with this, opponent will necessarily uh, experience this as a weakness. No, first you must shoot. And then when you scare them, then maybe if necessary, you know, you don't begin by making compromises. 
I, here I totally, I totally, I totally agree with you that my God, again, the paradox is at a formal level. We should learn from, although, you know, it's wonderful that what is happening now with this Tea Party and so on, how involved they are in uh, pure, I think the most interesting class struggle is now going on within the Republican Party. You have the Tea Party, which wants what? Cut the taxes and, uh, and slash the budget deficit. Of course, the problem is how to do this together. <laughs> because all, all things are already starting to move in the sense of the split there. Because do you know that the true leadership, not Tea Party, of, of the Republican Party already met big bank managers and promised them to repeal that Volcker Amendment, whatever, which precisely prohibits or tries to control these speculations by banks which led to 2008 and so on. So you have here a party which won with the slogan against public deficit, debt, and its first economic measure, two measures will be to abolish this amendment and B, to prolong the Bush's, Bush's tax cut for the rich people, which means a guarantee that public debt will explode even more. You see, here you have, but the, the story is here a very sad one. It's the story about material efficiency of ideology. Because if you are naively rational, you would say, would say, can they see that to lower, sorry, to prolong the tax cuts means immediately everybody even knows how much. It's 700 billion per year, billions more deficit. And nonetheless, they do it. So uh, I, this is the, but uh, I agree here with you. My only I'm, problem is that I had debates with my American friends about this. Was Obama even first? Yes, I agree with you. He is way too kind a guy. He really is. You know, I don't like this. I mean, it might be nice sympathetically, but you know, he, you know, my cynical definition, they asked me, what is the difference between moderate leftist and a true communist? Okay, to annoy people, I said, even if the situation is desperate, a moderate leftist will stick a knife into you. But then the communist turns a knife. Like, like this is Obama, it's not in his nature, no? I agree with you totally. My point is only that, again, are you aware, for example, this healthcare reform? How many obstacles opponents he had, even with this uh, modest politics, even in the Democratic Party itself? I think maybe more than Obama himself, the, the problem is the Democratic Party. This is what is happening now in the States. Both big parties are getting split. Republicans into Tea Party populism, but there the result is predictable. I think that, uh, you know, this uh, Lincoln saying, you cannot, you can cheat some people most of the time, uh, all the time, uh, all people sometime, not all the people all the time. Where maybe Lincoln was wrong. The success of this American right-wing populism means that at least for a large amount of people, you can cheat all of them all the time, at least the majority. So, and in the Democratic Party, you know, it's not just, you know, now all the price for all those Clinton compromises, triangulation and so on, triangulations, I think they pay the price. Don't underestimate the extent, probably, you know, to what extent within the Democratic Party itself, this 
I mean, Senator Lieberman, the big bad guy who openly supported McCain, is just the extreme. You have this realistic blah blah view, and they are they are more or less even openly now opposed to opposed to Obama. Okay. Uh, there was a gentleman there in white. Uh, there's another one. Ah, oh. uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, start from what you said in the beginning about uh, how you situated yourself about the events that happened here yesterday, uh, the demonstration and everything. I know you know from the media what I know. Yeah. No, no, no. Maybe you something said, was wrong, I apologize. No, no. At one point you said, my God, not murderous violence. So my question would be, where do you draw the line politically and theoretically? And I just have to yeah. quote another example from Greece. Yeah. The, 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 in Greece, the politics have been very contentious for the past year after the and everything. And then, in one of the biggest demonstrations against the austerity measures, things uh, got contentious as they were, and somehow three people died out of a fire that was caused by burned, by people just demolishing something. Yeah. So my question is, because, because we have to be more serious in, this, in my view, in this mm. approach, where do you draw the line strategically and theoretically in terms of uh, violence, murderous violence, non-murderous violence, and violence as a mean of acting? Yeah, now maybe my reply will disappoint you. I mean, of course, I uh, uh, I only can give you, I don't think you can in the Habermasian way draw some kind of a Kantian a priori rule and so on. I Unfortunately, you have to, what's the expression, play it by the ear or whatever. I don't think you can say, okay, uh, like, for example, some Greek friends even told me you can establish rules like when you attack a building, it should be only like McDonald's foreign company, not this poor small cafe owner who blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you can only play this up to a certain limit. There, there is no a priori rule, but nonetheless, I think unfortunately that you can, you have to take the risk because it's horrible to say, but you know, uh, it works. There are situations where if you don't have a minimum of this sense of emergency, things people think simply don't start to move. Like, let's take it here precisely. Without those a little bit of crash windows or whatever, whatever, I think these propositions would simply, I don't know, not be taken seriously and so on and so on. The problem is the way our media are structured. I can well imagine a media. I'm not blame. I mean, it's so easy to blame the media, but our public space is so distorted that only in this way you can be heard. I am far from idealizing, for example, Norway and so on, Sweden. But nonetheless, in those countries, people convince me. And again, I repeat it three times. I'm far from idealizing them. But they have, I think, much higher level of this. You can be hurt without violence. You know, it's all a question of, again, how the public space is structured. And again, I know this may be uh, disappointing, but like the conclusion would be then practically do nothing. I mean, anything can run out of control, you know, like this would be the same thing as to say, sorry for this bad taste example. Let's let's prohibit all the football matches because, you know, whenever you have them and so on and so on. No, I have no. Uh, I mean, to be frank, I'm well aware of the dangers of violence and I don't celebrate violence like 
I only once was in a situation which was not even violent, but so-so. In ex-Yugoslavia, when it was falling apart, there was a, a week maybe in Slovenia where it was a little bit of this. It wasn't clear who is in power and so on. And I can tell you there is nothing pleasant about it, you know. It's easy to have this dream, oh, the state withdraws and oh, we are free. Yeah, but uh, 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 you know, like, remember that all these examples that we celebrate, let's take May 68, no? That's my suspicion about it, you know. The story, much more often than we think, was, here I slightly disagree with my best friend, but you was that, you know, you come with your car, you parked it beyond Port Royal or on the right side, parked it safely, then you crossed the La Seine, you threw some bottles, demonstrated, then you withdraw to the, to the Rive Gauche, no? No, to the Rive Droite, the north, you meet in a cafe with friends, if possible with some journalists for an interview, and then you take your, took your limousine and <laughs> wait. In other words, you know, are we aware to what extent the state has to function in the sense of we rely on that, on that? Don't play with that too easily. The problem is not that I'm celebrating violence. The problem is the inertia, mediatic and so on of the political. You know what is for me the true cause of violence? You remember this story? I was repeating this story often when the last elections that were won by Labour Party. I was here, I remember two weeks before. And there was a big show they were electing through people's votes, calling listeners the most unpopular person in the UK. Of course, Tony Blair won. But two weeks later, he won the elections. Isn't this a strange sign of political discrepancy? That is to say, obviously, there was a large extent of public discontent, which wasn't captured by the system of parliamentary representation. The problem, the only way to really fight violence is to, to change things, to change things at that level, no? Uh, yes, this follows on in a way. Um, just uh, at the beginning you talked about the London demonstrations and it was interesting watching the media coverage when the, um, uh, the radical advocates of the action were on, for example, this BBC show Newsnight. Uh, no matter how hard uh, the person tried, it was incredibly difficult to find any kind of line to say. And I think the difficulty was that there has to be some, or there's usually some level of euphemism. And so when there's some... Sorry, some level of... Euphemism. Yeah. Uh, euphemism, uh, yeah, yeah. Understatement. And so, for example, the, the, um, there's this idea of counter-violence. Or there's the idea of, uh, which I know you don't agree with quite rightly, um, uh, interstitial resistance. These kinds of um, forms of speaking about violence without speaking about it. Now it seems to me there are two options, and I'm not sure quite where you stand. One is to defend violence, and is to say um, this violence is justified, so, which is what you said at, at the beginning. Um, you know, you have to smash windows to deliver the message. But I wonder, what do you think uh, in, of the second option, which is to say, as Apo, for example, smashing the windows, this is not violence. So which is to say, if one takes your starting point at the beginning of yeah, the violence yeah. book, for that example, would be interesting, but that, yeah. That, that systemic violence uh, and linguistic violence and these kinds of violence are the only violences that count. What about saying that, in fact, protests of this kind are a form of non-violence? This, yeah. this works wonderfully, but be aware that this works precisely as some kind of a paradoxical statement. 
No? Paradoxical in the sense that for the majority of people, I don't despise them living in everyday ideology, to them this precisely is presented and they, up to a point, experience, they will tell you, wait a minute, what is, if the fact that I cannot walk on that street because the, the windows are smashing, somebody can hit me, if this is not vile, you know what I mean. I, but otherwise, I'm deeply, I precisely think that this, this, uh, this apparently absurd statement, but this is not violence. I deeply, you know, in what sense I'm deeply sympathetic with it. I'm not now, now just bluffing to get you on my side, because this is what I tried to say, the point, with that statement, which caused me so much trouble even now. Uh, he, the problem with Hitler is that he wasn't violent enough. No, he wasn't able to do systemic violence, which is why he had to do Kristallna, that this is in Nietzsche's sense reactive violence. I don't want to concede to Hitler even this evil greatness of, my God, the guy was evil, but he had balls. No, he was a coward. He didn't have real balls. Real, bo real balls would have been to, not to, instead of killing people, to killing, changing the system a little bit. And he killed millions because he was afraid to change Syria. But also what you said about covering in the media, are we aware to what extent media are not in any paranoiac way controlled, but like how sensitive things are here as to who covers what, in what way, for example. Uh, this. Uh, I met also some Palestinians when I was in Israel and the other Israelis, and they both told me the same story. I don't idealize her, but do you remember Hannah Ashrawi, that Edward Said student, very educated Palestinian lady, who was 20 years ago around, I would have said, the public face of PLO. No, all the time you saw her on CNN and so on. Then she disappeared. It's wonderful, the explanation I was given. It's almost as another version of that Udi Aloni story uh, of why no Jews were killed on September 11th. Uh, it was a strange overlapping of opposite interests. On the one hand, the sad thing about PLO, the West Bank, is the gradual disappearance of secular left. So as part of this, she was considered too much by let's call them religious hardliners. No, an educated pro-Western woman cannot be our voice. But now comes the beautiful paradox. The Zionist uh, exerted in the United States the same pressure of CNN. Why not? Because it didn't fit the image they wanted to project of Palestinians, that you have an educated lady, non, non, not with half-covered face, whatever. They much preferred that, you know, Arafat's uh, stumbling, half English for whatever, you know, to make the, uh, these are the true Palestinians, no? So isn't it a nice paradox how the coincidence of the opposite, again, she was sacrificed, she didn't fit any, uh, any of the two. But what you said, yes, coming to think about deeply, this is uh, a strategy to be thought about. I think it's very efficient, yes, to say, and then, I hope you agree with this, that the first, okay, you say this is not violence. Then the people, you have this common sense reaction. Ha ha, are you crazy? But then if you make them understand this, if you explain it good, then in a sense you won. Because I claim that the moment you see in what sense this is not violence, you see our point.
So it's, thanks very much. I will probably plagiarize you and use this. And if you give me your name, I will do the usual hypocritical thing, you know. I will add on the tiny, tiny footnote <laughs> and not even conceding it to you, but at the same time that I was developing this idea, a colleague of mine came to a similar idea. You know, you know how we academics are cheating. Thanks very much, sincerely. <laughs> Uh, uh, now I'm for group sex, taking them together, yes, <laughs> getting time. Yeah. It's not really for the question, but it's more than the gypsy, and they, um, they, uh, they face the other, because um, in England at the moment, there's a place called Dale Farm in Essex. Well, I in Essex, yeah. Dale Farm is um, under eviction, it's from the only, love to see, I think it's the only large uh, Irish gypsy that's left in England. Um, but it's like, uh, it, it sort of fits the same pattern there. Uh -huh. One of which included um, hacking the pieces of the local helicopter, police helicopter, because it kept flying around and trying to see what they were doing. So they, uh, they were accused of taking hatches. Ah, so this is interesting. So here. I mean, it's not really hit the news at all. Um, uh, this is typical, yes. What hits the news? What? And then at some point it's going to hit the news, and then everyone's going to get upset. But let me make it clear. So it's this camp, and uh, the, the police itself is putting soft pressure on them, and not even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, this is inter but here the case is clearer, you know. What was so perverse in Slovenia was that it was more that West Bank uh, Palestinian Israeli situation where the police is split. Officially, it pretends even to protect them, but it protects them in such a way. For example, here, of course, I didn't agree. What did the police do? The police said, of course, it's horrible, those racists and so on. We have to protect the Roma. Yes, and then they forced them and practically kidnapped them and put them into some abandoned school and so on and so on. It was a wonderful example of how in order to protect the poor Roma, they did exactly what the local racists wanted. Irish. I, I know this. I know this. You see, now you said something. I will just show you, sorry, how politicized the debate is with us. What you said now, every right winger in Slovenia knows. Why? Because we have this struggle of which term should be used, Roma or gypsies. And right wingers wants to use gypsy, but in this vulgar sense as a humiliation. And so did I get you correctly? Because what they claim is that of, if you look at, how should I put it, objectively, then Roma are just one of the groups of the gypsies, no? And they like this because this legitimizes them to use the word, they are, how should I put it, right for the wrong reason. <laughs> they are factually right, but, it, ah, but this is, you know what is also interesting? Uh, uh, I like it very much when the Roma gypsies, whatever, try to organize themselves. They try to, no? Yeah, but but the problem is then again, where is the? I, I mean, uh, how my problem is always how to make this how to make this efficient? Because do you know what? How long a tradition of this anti-gypsy sentiment? Not only were they, as you probably know, put into camps together with Jews by the Nazis, but even nicer, nicer in a horrible sense. You know, the big last work by 
Husserl, the crisis of European, blah, blah, blah. He speaks there of European spiritual unity, European, Europe's spiritual entity. Derrida brings out this nicely. And then he says, Europe, we mean it not, not uh, territorially, but spiritually. And then Husserl, yes, as you may expect, says, take, for example, the gypsies. They are territorially here, but spiritually they are not Europe. They are out, and so on, and so on. So you see how this is what I meant when I said no ethnic cleansing without poetry, maybe even without, you know, I, this is whom I hate, these thinkers, poets, who their hands are very clean, but ah, 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 they lay the foundation slowly, no? And then, of course, when real violence begins, they are the first to say, oh, my God, it's the distortion of our deep insight. We didn't want that, no? Maybe we should, nonetheless, this is body language. <laughs> Poetical. Theoretical. Theoretical, sorry. I would like to ask you what's your outreach to justify why is strategical violence the really latent question now? And the emphasis here is on why it's strategic and not on why violence. Uh, is it strategical violence based in a construction of a shared space or a sense of solidarity? But uh, subjectification isn't, can be considered more sensitive. And if subjectification is individualistic, how to think resistance? Can, can we think the capacity to brutally do it that Obama lacks, or to turn the knife as in one example of personal violence? And if yes, how can we think um, how to transform or connect it in socially organized action? Uh, okay, this is, of course, a one million dollar question. I mean, if I would have to, if I were to have a precise answer to that one, I would have given it to you. All I'm saying is that uh, uh, it's not for me a question of, again, not even uh, strategic violence. Again, I just proposed a couple of steps. First step is to understand violence as you said before, Primarily, not not as as simply uh, non. Let's call it naively. You have a certain. Let's. It's very abstract system which functions using its own rules, but also its own transgressions and so on. And the the change, the true change, even if it's not physically violent, always has something violent. Violent in the sense of brutally. By brutally, I mean not justified by the rules of the game, by brutally changing the rules of the game. Or to put it in more even theoretical terms, you know this distinction, like all the French guys like it, but you, Ranciere, between society as corporate social body, each at our place, and this radical egalitarian point. There is always some kind of a clash between the two. In this sense, I claim uh, violence for me is not about killing people. It's about this experience of when you all of a sudden note of how society, in the sense of big other, organic order on which we rely, is up in the air. You know, you are not, you cannot rely on order. This is the exact opposite of corporate violence, which is precisely violence in order to sustain the order. Like, for me, this is, let's take Pinochet. 
I remember his first words, which were, the only thing we did this is the things return back to normal, that workers will forget about politics, workers should work again, and so on and so on. In, so uh, this is uh, this. And my second point is that one always have to has to remember the violence which is here, not, not even as a, some kind of abstract systemic violence, but uh, very concrete in different material prax practices and so on and so on. And I claim that uh, I just think we should accept that whenever you really touch things, change, you have you have, in this sense, you have violence. In this sense, for me, for me to make a good example, uh, for example, uh, Gandhi was for me, as I like to say, to provoke people more violent than Hitler. Because Hitler was a coward. Gandhi, whatever he was, he wasn't a coward. He really did it, transformation, and so on and so on. Okay, the limits of this transformation is another point, but you see, this is the crucial point. I don't want to be caught into that nightmare of, oh my God, there is a window smashed, how far can we go, can we kill, and so on. Of course, there is something terrifying in all violence, but it's not a choice of, this would be my zero level formulation. It's not a choice between violence or non-violence because the way we are in everyday life already is violence. This, I'm an old fashioned leftist. I don't want to concede on this point. Like again, as you said, smashing windows. No, that tuition imposed is true violence. This is brutal violence which can mark generations and so on and so on. And it's pure, pure hypocrisy when people say, oh, but you smash the windows and so on and so on. You know, it's as if I don't know. I, sorry, tasteless. No, I will do it the other way around so that I'm the victim. It, is it as if uh, you, I don't know why, you smash me, in, you spit into my face, smash me, and I said, fuck off, and you say, how dare you to use that word? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, At the same time, as a victim was a cat. Sorry? Yes, um, it was interesting that you mentioned uh, Norway and Sweden. Uh, my background is from the Norwegian media, or the, and the left in Norwegian media, and I just uh, want to invite you to, to reflect on the way uh, you are used uh, as, a, as a thinker. Uh, in Norway? Not in Norway. <laughs> Uh, in general, uh, because the way you are represented in, or the way you are uh, coming across in Norway, uh, I think, is uh, is as a critical thinker and as, as, a, as a somewhat uh, uh, excuse my French comedian. Yeah, uh, I wanted and, to say comedian. Yeah. I mean, just like uh, YouTube, you have two hundred thousand clicks on the, your comment on vegetarianism, whereas. Uh, instead, there's uh, maybe a thousand clicks on uh, your important, uh, productive uh, political uh, thoughts, line of thoughts. So the way you're used is, is just as a critic and not as a, a productive political thinker. And in, in that sense, uh, paradoxically, uh, you're also becoming, your popularity is becoming as part of a symptom of the crisis of the left. I tend up to a point to agree with you, and I will tell you up to which point. I'm trying, I agree, to play this risky game. My, my strategic choice years ago was, this is a tasteless 
No, no, nothing vulgar, don't be afraid. But the strange <laughs> example, I read in a book about priests, priests like Christian in the Wild West, that in order to attract attention, you know, they were the best magicians in the sense of card tricks, rabbits, and so on. Because they went to a saloon and first did some tricks, and then when uh, uh, people started to look at them, then, haha, you have the word of God, and so on, no? <laughs> and my idea was maybe I can manipulate a little bit in this way. Of course, the risk is to apply, to go on with the metaphor that people will just stay for the tricks, and then they will. But uh, I see, nonetheless, some signs of change. And one symptom of this change is precisely the level of attacks on me which is changing. Till now, did you notice this? The predominant tone was what you said. Uh, sometimes he's a little bit crazy communist, but communist, but forget about that. We go to see dirty jokes about gypsies and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, he will amuse us for blah, blah, blah. But then it's not only the new republic. It's uh, other media in the United States. It's uh, in, in Germany. There was a whole polemic against me again, again. So now the message is not only he's a clown, but he's a clown, but don't be deceived by it. Beneath this clown, there is a dangerous message of blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this is for me some kind of a sign. And also, you know, if it were to be, you know, I don't want to boast, but my friend Eric Sentner, don't ask me why, these are the mysterious ways academia work. He is in the, that inner circle of whenever you are uh, considered for any price, you know, all this shitty human price. They, yeah, they, they, he is one of the secret committees, you know, like he's always asked. And he told me that in the last 10 years, he was asked to do, to say his opinion, to write on me. I was considered for a prize at least 30 times. And then I never got, not even one, because then he asked, why didn't he get it? They say, politics, you know, a little bit problematic and so on and so on. So don't have too many illusions here. My last point would have been why I nonetheless like also this comical aspect. Fuck it, not you. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, why should we, I know, I hate, like, as if, since we are leftists, what we should do, just, oh, children are starving in Africa and so on. Fuck it, why? We can have better fun than the stupid right-wingers. Why should they take this from us, you know? But I agree with you, there are problems here. And again, would you agree? I'm, you know where it's good to mention your country, not as an ideal, but isn't this important to mention? Sorry if I repeat myself. Without idealizing you, by you, now I mean your glorious Norway, whatever, that, uh, do you know, uh, recently I was sent a text by, I don't know if I will pronounce the name, the Swedish guy across the river, uh, the river, the fjord, uh, the, the Gerborn, you know, the Swedish leftist Marxist, Göran Gerborn, Okay, who did something, sorry if I repeat myself, it's a wonderful point. Wonderful to show how even within the system we have a maneuvering space and how neoliberal ideology cheats. He says, let's take Scandinavian countries. And again, with all critiques, you are still relatively much more egalitarian and healthcare, blah, blah, all that bullshit than others. Uh, much more. For example, if you look at the usual in a company, span of wages between lowest and highest, it's much lower. But then the usual argument of neoliberalism is if we do this, become more egalitarian, blah, 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 you know what's the mantra, we will lose competitivity. Ah, 
Then Terborn does this. He looks not at some leftist uh, treating economy, but the true values, Wall Street and so on. But you know where you are immediately after, okay, the first two you cannot beat them are Singapore and Hong Kong. Then Scandinavian countries already enter a stop competitivity. This is an empirical proof that it's simply not true, even within the capitalist rules, what ideology is telling us, you know, more healthcare, more this, ooh, ooh, you lose competitivity. No, you don't necessarily lose competitivity. It's all, to put it very simple, you know, even Marx in Capital, when he speaks about the value of labor force. He emphasizes this is not a biological. The value of labor force is the result of ideological struggle. How much is accepted as normal for work? And this is a struggle of fight which has not even honest economists. Like that guy, Hartfield or what, who did that. But, no, 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 sorry, just to finish. Even he says that, uh, that uh, there is nothing a priori between market effectiveness and higher healthcare, because you can include all this. Market only wants clear rules. But if you set a clear rule, sorry, it costs so much, blah, 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 then it can work. You know, they, what I want to say is that we should be very clear about something, how the system is cheating with regard to its own terms. What we effectively have is not neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is ideology. Effectively, they all have half-state-run economies, they cheat, and so on and so on. United States, uh, neoliberalism, are you crazy? Are, you, are, you, are we aware how much state intervenes all the time, and so on and so on? Sorry, but I still like your country. You know what I like? Uh, I was there in, in Oslo recently in a cafe with some friends, and there was a beautiful blonde waitress that came. As a sexist, I couldn't say, oh, and you know what they told me? Oh, that's just a Swedish worker. Like, you are now so much richer than Sweden are the poor immigrant workers. Ah, because I, li I, li I like that. Thanks very much. Yeah. I expected something. I expected to say, no, Slavoj, you are not a clown. We love you deeply. We know you are really a good man. No, sorry. Thanks very much for your great question.